Well, good morning. Welcome here. Uh, as Paul already said, my name is Matt. I'm the director of youth ministries uh, here at Christ City Church. I'm just super excited to, to be here with you this morning. I wish it was under better circumstances. Uh, not going to lie. I was hoping the next time I came, Jake would just invite me. But it took him getting into a car accident for me to be here. So I'm still glad to be here uh, opening God's word with you this morning. Uh, let me pray for us and then we'll jump right in. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that in you we can rejoice. That in you we can have peace. I pray, Lord, that as we study this text today, your peace would just guard our hearts. Lord, we lift up Jake to you. We just ask that you would place your healing hands around him. Father, comfort him in this time. And we pray that, that this would be a season of him drawing closer to you. Father, we lift these things up in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, one of the things that marks our sort of culture, it seems more and more and more as the years go on, is anxiety. Maybe even as you heard the announcement this morning about Jake's accident, you were just suddenly flooded with, with worry and with anxiety and with fear. You know, perhaps a, a couple weeks from now, something like the credit card bill. It's going to come through and suddenly you're going to realize how much money you actually spend in a month and you're going to be worried. You know, how am I going to afford this? For some of you, tomorrow you'll, you'll be heading back into the office and there's going to be a hundred emails in your inbox. There's going to be meetings that demand all your time and, and this is going to add stress and it's going to add busyness to your, your life, making you anxious. You read the news, you recognize that for the first time, maybe in, in your whole life even, there's war going on in Europe. That the world will forever look different as a result. That major powers right now are threatening to destroy one another and you're scared, you're anxious. Fear, stress, worry, anxiety, these things, they mark the culture that we live in. So when I found out that I'd be preaching in East Van, uh, they gave me a choice on, on what to speak on, and so I thought to myself, hey, you know what? Why don't I just deal with the nice, easy topic uh, of worry and fear and anxiety? Just a nice, light topic for the guest speaker to preach on, right? No problems at all. Well, that's what I'm going to talk about today, and, and what I want us to come away with in the midst of this is that in the midst of our own fear and our anxieties and our worries, the Lord is near. That's my big takeaway. So if you take notes, that's my big takeaway. The Lord is near. And we're going to flesh this out by looking at our text and seeing three things there. The Lord is near, so rejoice and don't be anxious. The Lord is near, so rejoice and don't be anxious. All right, let's get going. Let's look at our first point together. The Lord is near. Read with me again our text today. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds 
in Christ Jesus. Now notice that little phrase kind of right at the end of verse 5. It's sort of in the middle of our passage. The Lord is at hand or the Lord is near. Now this, it might not seem like it's that important, but I want to argue this little phrase is actually the centerpiece of this whole passage. This isn't something I would normally do on a Sunday morning, but I want us to kind of take a brief moment to look at the structure of this text. You see, before this phrase that Paul sort of gives us, there are two commands. There's one active command, rejoice, and there's one passive command, let your gentleness be known. And again, Paul, he follows this exact same pattern immediately after he says the Lord is at hand. He gives an active command, do not be anxious, and then a passive one, let your requests be made known to God. Now, the reason I bring any of this up is because I think it's actually really important in how we understand this text. I say that because it's way too easy for us to read this and then think to ourselves, all right, I just need to to follow Paul's commands. I'll just rejoice more. I'll just be more reasonable. I won't be anxious. I'm going to pray. And then after I do that, I'm going to receive God's peace. As long as I follow the right formula, put in sort of the right ingredients, then I will receive God's peace. Then I'm not going to be anxious anymore. But there's a huge, huge problem with this interpretation. It puts all the onus on you. You see, you need to just rejoice better. You need to just pray better. I mean, come on. Just stop being anxious, right? It's that easy. That's why you're not experiencing God's peace. And what happens is this interpretation ends up being crushing. Because you know, right? I know that in the midst of our worry and in our fear and in our anxiety, you can't just do better. That's an absurd suggestion. But if Paul here is intentionally structuring this passage around that phrase, the Lord is at hand or the Lord is near, then these commands are not a secret formula for experiencing God's peace, but they are the natural outflow that comes with knowing that God is near to us, that he's close to us. Let me say that again. If this passage is structured around the phrase, the Lord is at hand or the Lord is near, then these commands, they're not a secret formula to get God's peace, but are a natural outflow from the knowledge that God is near to us. You see, the reason that structure matters here is because it makes God the central aspect of this text and not ourselves. You see, Paul, he's using this this phrase like it's a rock, and he's throwing this rock in a, a nice, calm lake. And when he throws it in the lake, these there's ripples that come off of that rock. And these commands, they're like those ripples. He's saying, the Lord is near, so rejoice. It's a ripple. He's saying, the Lord is at hand, so so don't be anxious. It's a ripple. He's telling these people to respond to the truth that God is near to them. And the good news today, the good news today is that the Lord wasn't just near to this church that Paul was writing to, but he is actually near to us too. He's at hand with us. He's close to us. And here's what I mean by that. 
When Jesus went to the cross and he died to forgive our sins, our relationship with God, it was completely restored. All who put their faith in Christ now, they're adopted into his family as sons and daughters, and they enjoy a relationship with the Lord God Almighty. And the relationship that we have with God, it's not a long-distance relationship. God actually makes himself present with us. He's near to us in this relationship. Jesus, he promised that he would send the Holy Spirit to dwell in all those who follow him so that he would remain present with us through the indwelling Spirit. So it's not just that we have this new relationship with God in Christ. We also have Christ himself present with us through the Spirit right now. And since he and the Father are one, you know, of the same essence, then as the Spirit dwells in us, then Christ is present with us. And God the Father is present with us too. In other words, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is near to each and every one of us in a very special relationship with us as we have faith in Christ. And the promise, the promise that he's made to us is that he will never, ever leave us. Listen to this. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Or listen to what the psalmist writes. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. And Jesus himself, he promises to be with us always. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Christ City, hear me on this. God is near to us. He's with us. He is always present, always there. In the mundane moments of your week, when life just seems like so dull and so boring, you know, you're washing the dishes, you're changing the, the millionth diaper of the day, when you're doing your finances, your taxes, he's there, he's with you in those moments. God is near to you, strengthening you, helping you, interceding for you in those moments. He's with you. When your work is stressful, and your colleagues are putting pressure on you to conform to the the culture around you. He's there. He's with you. Look, I don't know what your your work is going to be like this week. I have no idea what you're expecting to walk into as you head into the office this week. But I do know that whatever it is you are facing in your work, God is with you in the midst of that. He's near to you. He knows what you're going through. He knows it better than anyone else in your life because he sees all and knows all and he desires in the midst of that to be near to you, to be present with you. When you experience a tragedy and your heart is just broken and it feels like a a piece of you has been ripped out from the inside, and you're grieving, and no one around you knows what to say to you. God is near to you. He's with you. He feels your pain. 
Even when you're crying out in your life, where are you, God? He is with you in those moments. Jesus, the one who wept over the death of his friend, he weeps with you in those moments. Jesus, the one who defeated death on the cross and is the first fruits of the resurrected life, the one in whom all will one day be raised up to new life, he's with you right now. He's near to us. The Lord is at hand. And when you get this, you know, when this rock sinks into the waters of your heart, there will be ripples for people to see around you. So what's the first ripple? Rejoicing. This is actually our our second point as well this morning. It's uh, so rejoice. So let's just take a look at that together now. Look in your Bibles with me at verse 4 in our passage. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now what does this mean? Right? What does it actually look like to rejoice in the Lord? What does that mean? Are we supposed to kind of just like put on a happy face, you know, like fake it till we make it kind of deal no matter what's going on in our lives? Is that what Paul is, is saying here? Well, no, I, I don't think that's what Paul's saying. And I think it's going to help us a little bit if we just quickly look at that word rejoice itself. Now rejoice, it just means to show or to feel joy. And that word joy, it's really important. Because I think often in our world, we conflate the word joy with the word happy. But I want to argue that joy and happiness are not the same thing. You see, happiness in our, in our culture, at least, it tends to be quite shallow. And in a lot of ways, we've made happiness sort of the, the end-all, be-all of our lives. It's the goal that we kind of are all striving towards. And if we just kind of work hard enough Uh, follow the right steps, make the right choices, have the right mindsets, then we will achieve this goal of happiness, this place of sort of uh, euphoria and contentment in our lives. James Clear, uh, the New York Times bestselling author of the self-help book Atomic Habits, defines happiness as the state you enter when you no longer want to change your state. Let me say that again. The state you enter when you no longer want to change your state. This is the goal, culturally, that we're all kind of striving towards. It's a state of mind that includes uh, peace and contentment and honestly just kind of the feeling that comes with really good rest. Like how you feel when you're on the beach in Hawaii or in Mexico and, and the kids aren't there. They're at the grandparents' house, right? There's a lot of ways people think that they can achieve this feeling of happiness. A lot of ways. Basically, everything's been tried. You know, money, uh, sex, power, drugs, you name it. It's been tried to kind of be the thing to achieve this happiness. Now, whatever you might think about these different ways, there's one thing that they all have in common. At the end of the day, happiness in all of these things is something that is achieved. It's something that we need to actually earn for ourselves. But there's a big problem with this, a big problem. And I think we know what that problem is. It doesn't seem to work. This is something that we actually see in Scripture as well. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we're given the picture of a man 
uh, who looks to all sorts of different things to find fulfillment and, and happiness in his life. And every single time he looks to something, he later reflects on it and realizes that it's all vanity. It doesn't work. Listen to this. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. You see, the problem is, is that no matter what we do, happiness seems to be just a little bit out of our reach. It's one of those things where we think to ourselves, okay, I've done it. This is the thing. I've, I've achieved happiness. I've accomplished my goal. But then some new desire comes into our life, steals the contentment that we had, and it forces us to keep chasing. You see, happiness, it's stringing you along. It has you on the hook. And at the end of the day, you're not going to get it. There's a Greek uh, myth that I think demonstrates this really well. Uh, Sisyphus, he's been punished by the gods, and his punishment is to roll this huge boulder up a, up a mountain. Now, every single time uh, he gets to the top of this hill, he finishes the task, just when he thinks it's done and he can rest, this boulder, it rolls back down. And he's forced to start this task all over again. And he does this for all eternity. This is what our quest for happiness looks like. We're pushing a, a boulder up a hill thinking that once we get to the top, and once we complete that thing, we can rest. But it just rolls back down on us every single time. And we have to start all over again. But joy, joy is a different thing completely. You see, happiness, it's dependent upon our circumstances. We achieve happiness as we manipulate the world around us to kind of fit into our plans. But joy, joy is something received. Joy doesn't have to do with our external circumstances. Joy comes from the nearness of God to us. It is a result of him entering into a relationship with us and actually being present with us in our lives. Uh, a famous uh, theologian, he once wrote, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. We are made, made for a relationship with God. This is why we chase after happiness in the first place. Because we are looking for God and all of the gifts that he can give to us in every single thing but him. But when God enters into a relationship with us, when he makes himself near to us in Christ, then we receive rest. We receive contentment. We receive joy. And when we receive this joy through God's presence, then guess what our response to that is? It's rejoicing. We display this joy in our lives. It becomes a ripple that comes off of God's nearness to us. So let me ask you, Christ City, what are you using to find rest 
in your lives? Where are you seeking out happiness in your life? You know, what boulder are you pushing up a mountain thinking, oh, once I get to the top, once I complete that thing, then I'm going to be happy? Look, let me just be completely candid with you for a minute on this. From my own personal experience, that boulder, it's going to roll down, it's going to crush you. One of my goals in life uh, was to become a pastor. Uh, Basically, ever since I kind of understood the gospel, uh, it kind of clicked in my mind, I I wanted to sort of aim towards this. So what I did was I raced through my undergraduate degree. I did all sorts of volunteer work at the church. You know, I did internships and apprenticeships and all sorts of things. Went to seminary, uh, graduated seminary thinking, okay, I've made it now. I've made it. I can enter into full-time ministry. I'm ready to go. And then I'm going to be content. Goal has been accomplished. But I wasn't. Because the goal, it didn't deliver. I I wasn't happy. I wasn't content. I hadn't found rest in my life. And it wasn't because the ministry was bad. It wasn't because I'd somehow made some huge mistake in my choice of a career It was because I was trying to find my joy in something that could never deliver it. See, I wanted to be a minister for Jesus, but I wasn't allowing myself in the process to be ministered by Jesus. I was trying to achieve happiness by orchestrating every little thing in my life when what I really needed was to just receive my joy from the relationship that I had with the Lord. I was trying to achieve happiness instead of receive joy. And maybe, maybe you're here and you can relate to this story. Maybe some of you here have created a, a boulder in your life that you're just constantly pushing up a hill, thinking to yourself, once I get that thing, once I finish this task, then I'll be happy. But it's going to roll back down on you. It's going to leave you disappointed. But when you turn to God, and you accept the person and the work of Jesus Christ, He comes near to you, He will give you rest. He will bless you with joy. He won't crush you. He won't be harsh with you. His yoke, it's easy. His burden is light. He will make his presence known to you. And no matter what your circumstances in life are, he will teach you to rejoice. So the Lord is near. That's the rock we've thrown in the lake We've seen a ripple rejoicing. But there's actually another ripple. And that is, don't be anxious. This is our third point this morning. Don't be anxious. Let's turn to verses 5 through 6 in our passage today. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, these words of Paul, I think they can sound a little bit harsh to our modern ears. Do not be anxious. It sounds kind of cruel to say that to someone who's struggling with anxiety. You know, how in the world am I supposed to just 
conjure up this feeling and, and not be anxious. But I think when we understand the context here, it, it really helps us see what Paul is saying. We need to understand that Paul is writing to a very specific community with very specific needs. You know, Philippi, the city he's writing to, it was a very Roman city. And as a Roman city, it did not always take kindly to Christians. And so it's likely that these Christians that Paul is writing to were fearful of poverty, of hunger, of ostracism, and of persecution. And so when Paul is writing to them and he says to them, do not be anxious, he is not speaking about generalized anxiety disorders. But he's talking about the worries and the fears that these specific people in this community had. Paul is not saying this then to be cruel, but he is speaking to a very specific congregation with very specific fears and worries about their own circumstances, and he's trying to encourage them in the midst of that. So if you're here this morning, and you do struggle with an anxiety disorder, I just want to be really, really clear. Paul is not saying to you, come on, just stop being anxious already. No, he is speaking to a very specific community. And again, if you do struggle with anxiety, I would just encourage you, get help. There are people who can help, get help. There's lots of ways you can do this. One of the possible ways would be through our biblical counseling ministry here at Christ City. You can find out more information about that on our website. Uh, but we actually have a team of certified biblical counselors who can help walk with you through your anxiety. And I just encourage you, get help. That's one of the ways you can do that. So Paul, he, he's writing to this Philippian church and he's telling them here not to be anxious. He's telling them not to worry about the things that they're worried about. And the reason he gives for this is the very same reason he tells them to rejoice. The Lord is at hand or the Lord is near. Now, I didn't mention this before because I didn't want to overcomplicate things, but there's actually two ways that we can read that phrase. The first way we've already talked about that, and that is that God is physically near to us through the Spirit when our faith is in Christ. But the second, it has to do with the Lord's return. You see, it's not just that Jesus came once and died, forgave our sins, has restored us into a right relationship with God, but he actually promises to come again in the future. He's going to come one day, he's going to deal with, with all evil and sin once and for all, and he's going to dwell with his people for all eternity. So for instance, uh, look at Hebrews 9.28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Or again, Revelation 1 verse 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. You see, Christ, he's coming back. He is at hand. And here's why that is such an important piece of this puzzle. What is anxiety but fear of an unknown future? What is worry but angst about what we don't know is going to happen? But if we do know what's coming, if we do know our future, at least in part, then perhaps we don't need to be anxious anymore. 
And what we know is that the Lord is near to us today, tomorrow, the next day, and forevermore. Jesus is physically near to us through the Spirit right now, and one day he will be physically near to us bodily when he returns again. He is near. We know that. And we know that nothing in the universe can separate us from his nearness. Uh, Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see why this is important? There is no unknown future that can separate us from his nearness. We don't need to be fearful about our futures. We don't need to be worried about what might happen to us. We don't need to be anxious because we know that God is near. And when we know this, it produces something in us that only God has. And the peace of God, God's peace, the peace that he has in himself, in his own being, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Christ City, what a way. What a way to start our week. You know, what a way to get back into the regular rhythms of our our life. To let the rock of God's nearness sink into your heart. To let rejoicing and non-anxiety be ripples that come off of that reality. And to let other people see in you God's peace. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word this morning. Father, thank you that you are the God of peace. And that you make yourself present with us as we trust in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would place all of our hope in him, that we would trust in him, and Lord, that we would know that you are near to us. Help us to rejoice in this, Lord, to be thankful in this, I pray. And I ask, Lord, that other people in our lives who don't yet know you would see this rejoicing and this non-anxiety and want to get in on it too. And want to believe in your son, Jesus. I pray all of this in your mighty name. Amen. Hey, everyone. This is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver. And I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca.